it's not so much doing the drug, it's the waiting to get it, you know? So if you can create a situation in your life where you have this like delayed gratification that you get so excited because you're about to do something like, bro, I get excited when I wake up in the morning now because I'm like, nice. I get a whole new day to do my routine, mm -hmm. to, to hit my breath work. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to train a little bit in the morning. I'm going to go into this work day and fucking crush it. And you start to develop these feedback loops. You start to rewire your dopamine system to crave those things. And it does become like a drug. But fortunately that, that drug is not going to destroy your life. It's going to help other people. I mean, it's the same trigger that allows you to be successful in business that ultimately can end up you being homeless, a junkie and killing yourself, in my opinion. Yeah. What is happening? Welcome back to your favorite podcast, the Gordai Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mahaley. And today I am joined by an OG Jordan Duggar. Wow, do we get deep? We are going to talk about his addiction from pain pills, having 27 million in five years in business, being addicted to the process. A lot of you guys that listen to the show, myself included, you have addictive personalities. We can leverage that to build something great. We talk about doing the hard shit, lessons that Jordan learned from Alex Hormozzi. Does happiness actually exist? And we are going to talk about fatherhood at the end where I got a little bit emotional and I might've shared some things with you guys that I've never shared before. So without further ado, I'll see you inside. On the Mark Rector podcast, he came on and we chatted about his heroin addiction, how he overcame that and how intense that was. It was an absolutely invigorating show that if you've not heard that show after this one with Jordan, which is going to be crazy special, please go back and listen to that one. But Jordan has a crazy story as well. You, recently had an addiction to a substance that I've been leveraging for my advantages. I would love to chat about what I've experienced with it, but you got a little bit addicted to ketamine. Yeah, man. Like nervous, chat about it. nervous to even talk about this before we start, dude, thank you for having me on. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Can I do Pleasure a quick, to be here. can I do a quick Justin laugh? <laughs> Please do. I haven't done it forever. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> I still got it. I still got it. It feels good to get out. Huh? I still got it. I might have you do the intro. Nobody will even know that it's you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I love you brother. Um, yeah. So I've never shared this before publicly. And I actually just recently opened up to Aaron about this, my wife about how bad it actually got. So about a year and a half ago, this was like between, let's see, between like September to September, October, November. And it was right around like May to August. I got pretty bad on ketamine and it slowly spiraled. The reason I got addicted to it primarily was I was just trying to chase comfort. And we know how ketamine can be looked at as this very positive, useful thing, which it is. But the problem is it has a point of diminishing return. You know, ketamine does cause uh, neurogenesis. It, it allows for all these, all these really true benefits, but then there's a slippery slope where it actually can be neurotoxic, right? And so I definitely crossed that slope. I got to a point where I was doing like a gram a day. You know, I was using it for, to relax. I was using it to wake up. I was using it for everything. What I didn't realize when I started using ketamine, you can call it medicinally or to grow, is that it actually binds to opioid receptors, okay? Not nearly as much as you would find with like morphine or pain pills, heroin, et cetera, but it still has an affinity. I love opioids. We'll get into that part of the story, how I've been addicted to pain pills. And I just didn't realize that, man. So it just slowly snowballed, man. And uh, to take you back to the beginning, so it really started getting bad around the time that my wife was six months pregnant. I wasn't doing anything that was fun. I was just in the house all day. I was working all day. She's also my business partner. So I was taking on a lot more work in the business. Next thing I knew, man, I was just in the bathroom. Like, you know, it'd be like during the day, I'll do a couple sprays, then a little bit of powder. And the next thing I knew, man, I was just blowing through ketamine. It got so bad that I was doing ketamine in the hospital while my wife's uh, dad was in critical care. He, he had a massive heart attack and basically lost his life. And that's when it really accelerated. I was using that to cope. Then my, we had basically my son was born early due to the stress. My wife's water broke. I was doing ketamine in the hospital at that time. I slipped into massive seeking of comfort too, uh, not doing the hard shit. And we'll kind of circle back in what I mean by that. But bro, it's a lot easier to, or it's a lot harder to wake up at 5 a.m. Do the shit you need to do when you wake up in silk sheets. At this time, our business was, you know, doing millions of dollars a year. You know, we had just had a $6 million a year, pretty profitable. And then things slowly snowballed, man. So that's the gist of it. I'm good now. I haven't touched ketamine in several months. I'd like to have a more, more positive relationship with it. And I'm sure I will, but yeah, dude, I've never really shared that with anyone. And, um, be careful. A lot of influencers nowadays, they talk about psychedelics and they promote them, which I'm a huge advocate for, but something like that, I think should be aired with caution 
you're not going to get addicted to mushrooms, <laughs> like frankly, but ketamine is something that can very easily snowball. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah. That's powerful. You know, I feel very strongly about men being vulnerable and opening up about things and especially a man like you who, you know, you're conventionally attractive, you're jacked, you have the business, you have the wife, you have the the beautiful kid, you have this beautiful family of all these things, this powerful voice, you're booked for speaking engagements. In pursuit of this thing, mm -hmm. this thing of being a leader and having a 20 plus million dollar a year company, in, in pursuit of this, mm -hmm. there's always going to be things that have been left under attended to oh yeah maybe cast away overlooked ignored what's your current addiction mm, that's a good question i'm still i'm still addicted to a lot of things man um vices i think every man every woman has vices right nicotine i power through some zins <laughs> do you that's yeah. fucking disgusting yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, dude, we're so good at lying to ourselves, right? Especially from a science-based standpoint. I, all I need to do is look at the studies that show how nicotine has a really positive ergogenic aid. Yeah. It, it, it delays onset Alzheimer's. It's really good for your dopamine system, all these things. But when you're doing like a whole can of Zen a day, it's yeah. not necessarily true. Yeah. So in terms of current addictions, man, I'm addicted to fitness, like yeah. uh, sauna, plunge. I'm addicted to breath work. I'm addicted to things that do create positive outcomes, but that stuff requires work. You know, it doesn't require work pop it in a bathroom, doing a few bumps of ketamine or open up a, a container and pop in a, an opioid or, you know, a pain pill. It's easily accessible. Mm. And so as long as my addiction and my addictive personality stays addicted to things that also require work and pain and suffering, then I'm, I'm good. I'm not trying to not be addicted to things because I think that's also my superpower. Mm. But man, if you want to hear kind of crazy story, yeah. I'll take you back to how the whole ketamine thing un unraveled. So my, my wife's father, he had a massive heart attack. He's an entrepreneur, small business owner. They found him in his mattress store, unresponsive. Uh, my, my wife's mom, Tina did. It was devastating, man. Such a great guy, huge part of, I mean, you've met him before. Um, Jerry's amazing. Jerry was, yeah, incredible. So they rushed him to the hospital. They were able to revive him, but his brain had been, un, you know, he'd been unresponsive now for 43 minutes. And it took a week. We finally realized that he wasn't going to make it. We took him off life support. A few days after that, my son was born. My wife had, you know, her water had broken due to stress. We rush. She's in the hospital for four days in labor. Thank God Jackson was born perfectly healthy. He's a badass. He's awesome now. Mm -hmm. Soon after that, it was actually four weeks later, uh, our P&L came out in our business. Um, Aaron and I were sitting on our patio. It was July. Our son was laying there with us. And I had a feeling that things were going bad in the business because frankly, the person running it was a, a mess at that point. Mm -hmm. We looked at our P&L and we had just lost $50,000 in a month, you know, negative mm -hmm. in a, in a coaching business that's unheard of, you know? And I mean, my, just, my heart sunk. I'm like, now I have to share this with Aaron, who is a new mom dealing with a, a C-section recovery that her business is in the red. So I share it. And then that's when I knew things were getting really bad. Fly, uh, rewind about six months prior to this, we took on some business partners that we were paying anywhere between 50 and 70,000 a month mm -hmm. to. Our labor expenses went from 200K to a, about 380. Our expenses were basically like 450,000 a month. Mm -hmm. And so that's fine when you're doing 800K mm -hmm. a month, 900K, but then our business started to decline. So we had a, you know, $400,000 a month with 470 in expenses. I'm like, oh shit. So how did I respond to that? I was still in the depths of using ketamine for just escape. Mm -hmm. It only got worse, right? I'm like, oh, if I just do more ketamine, I'll be able to solve this problem. <laughs> You know, oh, I see. So I just dipped deeper and deeper around that time. And then interestingly enough, about a few days later, I'm trying to figure out what the problem is. Yeah. You know, what's the problem? The problem was me. Instead, I got some cocaine and I decided I was going to stay up all night trying to figure out what was going on, looking at spreadsheets, looking at numbers, looking at reports. And I went on this like manic spiral where I really already wasn't sleeping much. We have a newborn barely sleeping. And I'm just like, well, cocaine will help with this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, man, this is not proud, not proud of telling these stories. But what I did was I stayed up all night and then I created this Loom video in a Google Doc with our whole leadership team, basically venting, hey, I think I found the problem. It was not a pretty, uh, I mean, it was bad, dude. Oh no. It was so embarrassing. And I sent it that night, or we could call it early morning, 4 a.m., woke up the next day at like eight and like, oh fuck, what did I do? I go in, I look, they'd all viewed it. And I'm like, that was a terrible mistake. That led to our sales manager quitting. That led to, from there, our, basically our entire sales team quitting. In a month that we were already losing money, we just lost our whole sales team. Then I was really, really unraveled. So I just had my newborn son. 
I'm back to an addict, back to the same place that I was at 23 years old when my life was at an all-time low. Mm -hmm. I just found myself back in this place where everything I had worked to build, as soon as my son is born, I'm about to fucking crumble it. And I spiraled. I went 44 days after that without sleeping, like chronic insomnia. Um, when I'm talking insomnia, it was like the hardest thing I've ever dealt with. Like I would start to kind of doze off and then my heart would just like flutter and wake me up. It got so bad. I is thought, that due to stress or is that due to the drug addiction? Both. Well, at that point, I, I, I had to face everything because when you have a son, when you have a kid, your, your imperfections, your things that you're denying about yourself are literally just staring at you, right? So when that happened, I saw everything that was happening where before I was just kind of denying it. And so that realization caused this spiritual fucking storm inside of me where I knew I had to make a change. So I just cut everything out. I cut out fucking nicotine. I cut out smoking weed, ketamine, everything at once. Yeah. And then obviously that led to this massive disruption between GABA and, you know, everything ketamine affects. Mm -hmm. um, dude, it got so bad. I took myself to the ER. I even uh, walked to the fire station, which is three miles down the road from me uh, one morning at like 4 a.m. because I thought my heart was an AFib. Like I thought that was, that was what was happening. I thought I was in heart failure. Yeah. Obviously, they're like, no, you're fine. You're just really stressed. Dude, that went on 44 days. And finally, on the 44th day, I called my mom and I said, I want you to take me to an inpatient mental health clinic. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not going to make it. And she's like, try one more time. I want you to try to go to sleep one more time. And Justin, this was after trying every medication you could think of, um, you know, from Ambien to Trazodone to what they didn't touch it. Yeah. And I'm like, all right. She's like, I need you to pray for me. So I did. I prayed really hard. And I got three or four hours of sleep right after that. And I woke up and I'm like, okay, I have a chance here. I have a chance. Dude, it got so bad. I actually planned my best friend's bachelor party around that time. I was about 30 days in yeah. and I was the best man. Yeah. So I couldn't just skip this bachelor party, but I also hadn't slept in 30 days. And so I'd already spent like 15 grand on this bachelor party, rented this penthouse suite in Nashville, badass setup. So of course I have to go. Mm -hmm. I get down there, man, and I try to go out with them, but I just couldn't make it. And I couldn't sleep at the bachelor party either. I'm in this hotel room trying to sleep. And I started having these hallucinations, uh, like light dreaming, very vivid of me walking up to that penthouse suite, running off the balcony. Mm -hmm. Every time I would start to doze off, I'd have that vision. My theory is, is because I was so unhealthy and so sleep deprived that from an evolutionary standpoint, mm -hmm. I think that my inner conscious was telling me to end it because I was a threat to our tribe. Right. That it's like, sense. yeah, it's like, bro, kill yourself. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. I was like, dude, you're an, you're a fucking liability here. Go jump off the building. And it was, it was telling me to do that. So I left that party, went to my sister's house, yeah. stayed there for a few days. But yeah, man, I got out of it. That is... Yeah. The hardest thing I've ever I, gone through. I didn't know that you were going through that and experiencing yeah. that. I know that there was a little bit of a rough patch, yeah. but that's... I didn't really share it at the time. Really right? intense. Looking back on that, what, what, what's the feeling that you get from then to now when it hasn't been that much time in between. Man, when things come up now, stressors, problems, I'm so cool about it. Yeah. You know, I'm like a little business thing or yeah. whatever the case, my patience, my aptitude for problems or not my aptitude, but my, my tolerance yeah. is unlike anything it's ever been. I used to be really emotional, used to get like stressed over things. Yeah. Now we can have a few bad weeks in the business and I'm like, it's cool. At least I don't feel like I'm dying, yeah. <laughs> you know? So you went from, a minus 50k month, the first mm. month your son was born. To this past year, y'all did 27 million rev. I saw that Instagram post. Yeah. Well, that's actually combined for, for the last five years. Should be clear. Got it. Yeah. So that's five years. Yeah. So you went 50k a month, minus 50k a month. To you've still done 27 million rev. Yeah. Well, look at it I this mean, way. And when this happened, that was Q3 of 22. Yeah. It was basically all of Q3. Wow. We did a hundred, we did a 1.2 million in revenue. Yeah. And we netted 173K. That's 14% yeah. margins. Okay. Not very, Not very good. The very next quarter, we did 2.2 million with 50% margins. Okay. Turned it around fast. What was the difference to be able to expand those margins? Me. Yeah. It was me. You know, well, first off, we made a lot of hard decisions to undo some bad decisions. Yeah. We let off a bunch of people that we shouldn't have hired. Yeah. We, we broke up with this business partnership. Okay. Uh, Aaron had to step back in and run the sales team. Yeah. Because that was part of it too, man. Here's the thing. I didn't believe in myself to run that company by myself. Yeah. Aaron had to step out. She's pregnant. Yeah. 
and especially third trimester, you know, you just can't really operate mm-hmm. like that. And so I took all, took it all on my shoulders. And I'm like, I just got to do everything. And I just overcompensated, mm-hmm. you know, there'd be a small little problem. Think of it as if you're driving down the road and you get a flat tire and instead of just stopping and checking on the tire, I just ran the fucking car yep. off the cliff. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's how I respond. Yeah. And so really what it changed was me, my resiliency. I got clean. I got clear. I got back into my routines and my habits and my disciplines that got me to where I got to the beginning. But yeah, I, I know you as a very structured person. Yeah, yeah. I lost all that around that time. That is just me knowing you on a personal level. The podcast listeners don't know you to this level. Like Jordan and I lived together for a little bit of time. Like what, uh, four, five, five? Yeah, about five years five ago. Five years ago? Yeah. Like we really know each other mm-hmm. from, you know, that time and thinking about you not having structure is absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, I wish I would have reached out more in that time. Um, what's well, on me too, know, man, as men, we just don't reach out. We don't ask for help when you're in it. I know, but I, I think about you often. I, I could do a better job of reaching out. Um, but now business is going well. Business is strong right now. You yeah. made bad decisions mm-hmm. that you had to undo. What's your fail-safe method that you have adopted to try to prevent those bad decisions from occurring? Mm-hmm. Firing people is very hard. We, you know, we've had to fire a couple people recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you underperform, dude, it's fucking hard, bro. Yeah, it is. It's really, really, really hard. Firing people is one of the hardest things you have to do when you're growing a company, especially when you care about people. When you love people so much and, you know, I am doing business with a lot of people who I consider friends as well. And I know there's a whole business rule, but I don't do business with your, you know, that's what drives me though. Mm -hmm. That's what drives me. And it's challenging. There's nobody that I've ever let go or that's left the company that I'm friends with anymore. And it's not Mm -hmm. because it's on, on bad terms. It's just, it, if you're unaligned and you know, you and I, it's different for, you now. you have Jack's for my business. Number one, Mm -hmm. that's my number one thing. So if we're not aligned in this scope, then it's going to be really difficult to find alignment in other areas at that point. Yeah. And it seems like before the split happened that there was a, a point of the vision. I was talking to my friend Mike about this last night. He has a huge digital marketing company. He is absolutely killing it. I'm insanely proud of that guy. But as the leader of the company, you and I, our vision continues to grow and expand. And what our vision was two years ago when you made certain hires, it's different now, but they were hired at this vision and you can't get everyone to see this new revolutionized vision. I actually think it's a bad sign for the health of a business. If there's a lot of employees that are there for a very long period of time, I have Kelly Igo, who's been with me about four years as a coach. I have Danielle, who's been with me about two and a half years as a coach and their vision continually grows with mine. That's why um, they, they're, they're now the head coaches of TM and they've taken a ton of my responsibilities and they're executing them better than I was because they're seeing that vision. Yeah. People who are with a company a really long period of time, that probably means the company isn't expanding and growing. Oh, yeah. But from the outside, because you're like me, yeah. we don't talk openly and publicly about like why this person is no longer with us. We let them talk and say their things, but people lack ownership severely. It's easier to say that like, well, Justin is this behind closed doors with that on camera. It's easier to say that than it is to say I failed and I couldn't keep up with the standard of the company. Yeah. Yeah. Even though that's okay. We never talk about it because we're too busy in this pursuit and it feels like you just left some baggage, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that you weren't able to fly with any longer. So back to the original question, what have you put in place within yourself, maybe within company measures that allow you to not make the same mistakes from a hiring standpoint or a partnership standpoint that yeah. you have made? Yeah, it's funny you say that. We were actually talking about this. Uh, in 2021, we had a corporate team retreat where we all you know, flew down. We worked on mission, vision, values. We took a group photo together. Yeah. And I think at that time, there were like 23 people on our team. And now we just had a recent one back in June and we were looking at the photo. Only five yeah. of them were still there. Yeah. Five. <laughs> I have similar photos yeah. of that where I look back and I'm like, that's insane. And that's part of it, right? A growing tree has to shake off dead bark. Yeah. Uh, we worked with Layla and Alex Hermosi at one point, uh, and they told us this too. They're like, guys, you have to realize that where your team stands right now, probably 75% of them are not going to be there when your company doubles, triples, just the reality. 
And in terms of hiring, man, the games won't run in the draft. So we're hiring for different positions right now in our company as an example. One is like a media buyer slash tech lead. Um, we've interviewed about 55 people so far. And that's what it takes. You know, a lot of times early in the business, you, you just don't think about hiring that way. You think about hiring based on proximity. It's like, hey, I know this person who has this skill. They'd be really good at this thing. I can train them. I can develop them. And then it doesn't work out. Usually it doesn't. Mm -hmm. You know, in that case, you're going to get like one winner out of every 10. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to man hiring, it's like you need to interview 10 times as many people as you probably think you should. And then you also need to triangulate. You shouldn't be the only one interviewing. It should be different people in your company, multiple layers. Then you guys come together and make a group decision. And asking the right questions. Aaron has a question she asks on interviews, man. Aaron's a good people picker, man. Really good people picker. For me, I either hit grand slams or I strike out. I'm the same way. <laughs> yep. Like some of like our most talented people in the company I picked, yeah. but I've also fucking hired like 50 <laughs> yeah. of them. Duds. You know? yeah. yeah. And so she has a question she asks and she says, what's the hardest thing you've ever been through? Mm -hmm. She asked that question. That question is powerful because you get to really learn like how much adversity has this person actually faced? She, we made a, a bad hire recently for one position and she asked that question on the interview and didn't trust her gut. This person answered that question by something that had happened two days before with his son. Like, oh, we, you know, this happened, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, that's the hardest thing you've ever gone through. Ended up being a bad hire. Another question I love is, here, let me just ask you this question. Yeah. Uh, tell me 10 different ways that you would use a bed sheet. <laughs> okay. I would use it to put my bed on it, obviously. I would use it to, if I was running out of, if I didn't have a hamper available, I'd put all my dirty clothes in it and I would take it to the washer and I would use it that way. Um, let's see. I would use it to tie something together. It's very sturdy. If I had to like tie things together, yeah. I think a bed sheet would probably be a pretty good bet there. Um, you know, in the back of a truck, like the, um, Here what's, what's those bungee cords? Yeah. And, like like, if like I a tonic cover. Yeah. If I didn't have some of those, like I would, you know, I would, I would rig a bed sheet to be able to, to perform that. I would use it to build, um, like playhouses and yeah. stuff with a bunch of pillows there in my bed. Um, I would use it in a, a sexual manner for sure to maybe tie somebody to a spoke on the bed if they consented <laughs> to do so. Uh, let's not take that out of context. If they're into that kind of thing. Um, that's six. I'm at yeah. six right now. Okay, okay, okay. Um, how else would I use it? It doesn't have to be legal. It could be criminal. It could be whatever you want to do. Oh, I would use a bed sheet to take someone out. Of course. <laughs> for sure. I would use a bed sheet to drop off a body. Of course. For sure. Um... I would use a bed sheet. There's more. Oh, mm. I feel like there's some extreme sports you could use a bed sheet for. Like you could use a bed sheet somehow through like a winter sport mechanism. I'm not quite sure what that looks like. Maybe so. turn it into a parachute, rappel out of a burning building. Right. Like, you could. Yeah. Yeah. You could repel out of a burning building. I, I, I'm at, I'm, I'm at eight and I'm sort I'm sort of striking out, but I want to, oh, I want to, I want to nail this so bad. You know what I'd use a bed sheet for? I would use a bed sheet for, um, I'm a little bit of a, uh, the word slipping me right now. I'm a little bit of a, um, I like having sex in public places. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I'm kind <laughs> of that too. Not in front of people, but yeah. like, you know, in a bathroom and just back of my car. The fear of getting caught, right? It's fun. Yeah. I would use a bed sheet to like put up. So like if you're in the back seat, I would rig the bed sheet like on the clothes hangers. Yeah. And like on the ground to like block anyone's view yeah, in totally. a public place. That's a good move. Um, That'd be a lot of fun. That's you, nine. You got one more. I got one more and I, I'm, I'm going to get this one more as well. The final way I would use a bed sheet. Here's the thing. I have a hack because homeless people in Austin. Oh, right. I get to see what they do. Right. So I guess my final one would simply be, I would, um, no, you know what my final one would be? I'm going to do this. I have a sick balcony, uh -huh. a sick as fuck balcony. A king bed sheet would easily cover the entire balcony. I want to have a romantic dinner on the ground on my balcony with a bed sheet covering us from any, the wind, the snow, the rain that's coming right now and have the heat from the house flowing out into the balcony. It would be like a, it would be like a heated romantic outdoor dinner. Yeah. It looks like one of those like igloo things you see. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. The igloo thing. Yeah. yeah. We have those all around Dawson. Right yeah. Now. That's the 10 ways I would use the bed sheet. I Nailed cannot it. believe I came up with 10. That's good, man. And you know why you were able to answer that? Because you're a divergent thinker. Mm. meaning you have the ability to think outside of the box, mm. right? Yes. Divergent thinking and linear thinking are two different things. Like linear thinking, it's like, man, I can solve this math problem if you put it in front of me. Yeah. But divergent thinking is like, here's a problem that I have. Mm -hmm. You need to come up with a math problem to solve it. Mm -hmm. So depending on who you're hiring, right? When you're hiring, you have 
doers, you think about like conveyor belt employees where they need to be told exactly what to do and how to do it. Those are usually lower paid, you know, easier to find. Mm-hmm. And if you're hiring those kind of people, really, you're just looking for like the cost. How much yep. is it going to cost you? Yeah. If you're hiring positions within your company, who are going to be high paid, potentially leadership positions or anything that just requires like you not having to tell them what to do, but instead giving them targets mm-hmm. and allowing them to come up with their best process. You need divergent thinkers. Yeah. So it's those kind of questions. Yes. So a healthy company probably has a, hel- a good mixture of both, but I love innovators. I love exactly. disruptors. Yeah. I want to be surrounded by disruptors. What I love about my current staff is, um, you know, I've grown the staff. We have 11 coaches now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, we broke up with four coaches last year and now, so we were down to five and now we're up to 11 mm-hmm. and it's really cool what we yeah, have. You guys have grown fast even since we've talked like six months ago. Yeah, we've grown very fast. The The vision is very c- concise right now, but I'll, I'll pitch something in the Slack chat and Jorge gives me pushback and Danielle gives me pushback exactly. and, and Justin, who we just brought on, he's going to be someone who gives me pushback. Dominique gives me tons of pushback. Dominique challenges me more than anybody directly in the staff. And I love that. Yep. Uh, I would say her, Jorge and Danielle, they're top three challenging my thought process. That's what I want. You got to have that. What I'm doing is working for me, yeah. but it's only worked to this point. We're a $2 million a year company. We want to go to a $10 million a year company. So what I'm doing is not good enough. So I need people who I trust. I put you in position because I trust you to do this job. Yeah. Not because I want to tell you how to do it because I want you to figure out how to do yeah. it. So it's very important you say that. Um, are you familiar with... Elon plays this continual game with himself about um, whole C... You have on, on your book bag, you have daddy, uh-huh. you have, it's five letters. Yeah. So Elon will see daddy and he'll start coming up with as many five letter words as he possibly can in his head, or he'll do this thing of like five letter words that start with a D mm. and he just rattles them and he just goes nuts. And, um, I think it was Walter Isaacson that said, um, while he was following Elon around for his biography, it, it might've been Walter, it might've been somebody else, but I think it was Walter Isaacson. He said, Elon came up with like 86 words that were like three letters long that started with whatever. Different kind of brain power. In like a minute. Yeah. I mean, if you and I did that right now, we would come up with something impressive, but we're not touching 86. We can bring the guys from outside the studio running the podcast in here and all try to come up and we're not touching 86. He did that himself just in a minute. That shows his ability to see a problem and have solutions galore to solve that. Did you you read his book? Yeah, I've read his book. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He's fucking phenomenal. Like fascinating. Pretty amazing. Um, It seemed like everything... What it confirmed is everything I know about ultra successful disruptors, but he just has it all in this perfect, weird concoction. Like there's parts of the book you might read and be like, oh, like that reminds me of Justin. There's parts of the book I read that was like, that reminds me of Jordan, Mm -hmm. but that's parts. Yeah. If you just took like the 50 most successful thinkers that you know, thinkers, not people, the 50 most successful thinkers, you know, and put them all together, I still don't think that they can, I mean, the shit he's doing to bootstrap yeah. a rocket yeah. to get to space yeah it's it's he he's not human that that I, I you know he lives right next to me oh that's pretty badass yeah, yeah. i mean i knew he lived in austin yeah yeah man there's you know a lot of that stuff is genetic bro like let me see your hand real quick hold your hand out yeah so there's this uh study and it's yeah. not like fully validated but they talk yeah. about index to to middle finger ratio yeah, yeah. and basically what that I means is androgen receptivity in the womb, like your testosterone ratios when you're like in the womb with your mom. Usually those people are genetically prone to chase power status. They want to, they want to dominate. Um, and there's a lot of correlation to that, man. Like there's like 50 some studies on that. You've seen Donald Trump's massive hands. Mm -hmm. He has, and when he shakes hands of like other leaders of, I think Joe Biden has massive hands too, doesn't he? A lot of that shit's genetic. Interesting. Yeah. But dude, on the subject of uh, like problem solving with your team and everything, man, yeah. like it's all kind of about culture too that you instate. So every good company has a visionary. You're obviously the visionary. Yeah. There's no doubt. You also need a, an implementer, somebody who's really good at just doing shit, mm-hmm. like really good at that. Mm-hmm. But what I think is the most important job in a company is the integrator. The integrator is like oftentimes the COO or the, the, the chief operator. Their job is to be ruthless with accountability, ruthless with telling you when things should happen and when they shouldn't, whether or not, okay, it's a cool idea. We play this game in our company called stupid idea time. Mm -hmm. Stupid idea time means, Hey, we're thinking innovatively. We're thinking ideas here, but we know we're not going to do this necessarily right now. Maybe we will later. 
Yep. And that person is able to filter and filter problems in the company and bring to you just the information that you need yeah. to help make a decision. Mm, it insulates. Yes. Yes. That, that, like those two positions are everything. Yes. And a problem solving framework that is really useful for any company is called 131. So when they bring a problem to you, Justin, as a visionary, you can't be inundated with problems all day. You need space to think about how to create. Yeah. Uh, so if there is a problem that gets escalated to you, it should be the one, three, one. So it's like, here's one problem we have, three potential solutions, and then we're going to have a discussion to decide which of these three we're going to execute. Yeah. Cool. We get yeah. shit done. Otherwise, you create a culture where people just bring problems to you all day yeah. without context, without information, and then you're just like, blah, 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 and then shit just goes haywire. Yeah. You know? All right, you guys. So I don't run paid ads and stuff on my show because, um, well, quite frank, I'm not super aligned with anybody, but also I just love the flow of how the Grow It Eye podcast goes. So how you can give back to me, if you could share this, wherever you share stuff, it could be LinkedIn, it could be Instagram, it could be Twitter, and you just tag the Grow It Eye page, tag me in it if you'd like to. That would help me so much as I continue to grow this show into eventually doing it in America tour in 2024 and try to come to a city near you to have some amazing guests on. I appreciate it a ton. Now, let's get back to the show. Um, that one three one rule is something I learned about a few months ago. I it was on a podcast. Might have been Dan Martell. That's how I learned. It might have been. It might have been. Um, and I've implemented that with Kelly and Danielle being the head coach of the staff. They each have their clear and concise roles that I want you to come to me with a problem that's high level and an expensive problem or a people problem. Mm -hmm. Come to me with those. Everything else you guys handle. Yeah, of course. Everything else. Come to me with a people problem or an expensive problem, but I want to make sure there's three solutions that have been thoroughly researched. And then my one might be a little, your one is you want to collaborate on the final problem solution. My one is I kind of, I just want you to tell me yeah. what you think that problem solution would be. Yeah. If I think that it is vehemently wrong, th th then at that point we kind of have other issues. Cause why'd I put you in that role? Yeah. If you think if you research these three things and you came to me with this one, even if I don't necessarily agree with it, let's see what happens. Yeah. And because there's not many decisions that you can't undo. That's how we look at it. If the decision can be undone, make it. Yeah. If it potentially can't be undone, then let's make sure we make the right decision. Like sitting right. in a loom video when you're coked out. Exactly. So exactly. That should have went through a filter process. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We should have woke Aaron up before we sent that one out. Should have went through um, a filter. You worked with Alex and Lila Hermosi. I want to get him on the podcast very badly. I, I've said that a couple of times, but I've made no move to actually get it done. So this is my accountability to do so. Um, what are some things you learned? Man, lots we learned from them. It was a really great experience. We're their third portfolio company yeah. in acquisition.com. We've known Alex and Layla for a long time. Layla used to follow Aaron back in the day when yeah. she was OG Aaron Diamond Fitness. Yeah. Layla used to be really overweight. She was like 50 pounds overweight. No way. Uh, and she followed Aaron and like basically used Aaron's content mm -hmm. to lose weight, right? Mm -hmm. So so anyways, How we, cool. yeah, yeah, we worked with them, uh, got to spend a lot of time with them and just learning the way that they think, the way that they problem solve, their scale of thinking is just unreal. Mm -hmm. um, man, but, but also what we learned through that experience is like, you have to be really aligned with the specific values of the person you're learning from, especially when you're working that closely with someone yeah. like they, you know, they don't have children. They are fucking work machines and I've lived that life. But at the same time, like we we're, we're kind of scaling family and business right now. And so the speed at to which we were trying to scale, the, the, the way that we were trying to scale, we just kind of misaligned with some decisions and we just realized this wasn't the best fit. Yeah. Um, but man, like they're fucking powerhouses. Like yeah. there's so much to learn from them. And Alex is an interesting guy, dude. Yeah. When you hang out with him, so for example, we'd go to dinner and within that dinner, he would give you 10, 15 different business ideas. Wow. He reminds me of you, like very visionary, very just in the sky thinker. But without Layla, Layla would be like, Alex, we're not doing that. Alex, we're not doing that. Like yeah. we talk about, yeah. nope, good idea. We're not doing it. Yeah. Man, for example, I went and trained with him and he shows up with this, uh, basically like a DeWalt tool bag with like the handle and these different slots. And like that, he had his like shaker cups, straps, you know, his different things. He had like a spare, you know, extra set of Crocs. Like, yeah. And like, man, that's your gym bag. He's like, yeah, dude, let me tell you about this. I'm going to brand and sell these eventually because look how useful these are. And he goes and like gives me this pitch. He's just like always thinking of ideas. Fascinating. I mean, yeah. yeah. I have... I have an issue with that. Yeah. I've had to try to dumb it down quite substantially. There's this little hit of like creative oh, yeah. that that gets into my vein. I feel like you used to be like that. Oh yeah. And I would I will just start going ballistic with these insane ideas yeah. that I mean, I think if something comes to your mind, it can be achieved, but it's like I'm thinking about something so 
outside of what my expertise in realm is yeah. and where my focus should be. And then I start fantasizing about it and I start romanticizing it. And I'm like, well, you know what? Like I probably can do that. Um, I, I know you're this way when you're at a restaurant, you're watching all the entire process. Oh yeah. 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 By the time I leave a restaurant, I know there's a good restaurant a nice restaurant. There's routes that you take. Mm-hmm. The servers walk this route to bring food around. The waiters are, are, are walking this other route to, to wait their tables. The people picking up dishes walk this certain route. And everyone's going this route so that there's no traffic jams. Yeah. And I will figure that route out by the time I, I leave dinner. I'm, I will figure out the exact process of how. So I sit down, I order. Mm-hmm. And that that disrupts a lot of fine dining places. My friends and I went to a Sway Thai. It's a really nice, you know. I think I've heard of that. Everything scaled out like two hours. Yeah. We sit down right away and we're tossing our orders. Yeah. Because I want to disrupt your processes and I want to see how well trained. Yeah, totally. You guys actually are because I can learn yeah, yeah, from totally. this and bring it into my company. Yeah. And I know you're that exact same way. There's pros and cons of that. Oh, yeah. When you go to a really nice restaurant, you get a $400 tab and it's like your system process is sucked. Yeah. Like Perry's here. Perry's system process. We flow, got reservations there tomorrow. Ter- I love Perry's, <laughs> but they're terrible. Yeah, yeah. The system process is terrible. And also, how do I go to Perry's? I go to Perry's every two months and it's never the same work staff there. And that's a you know big, but they make so much money. Yeah. They make tons of money. Uh, make sure to get the pork chop when you're there, by the way. Um, so- I, I want to flip a question then on you because I know exactly where this goes. What's the hardest thing that you've ever been through? Is it the experience you already shared with us or was Man, it the honestly, pain pill addiction? It's, it was probably the pain pill thing. Uh, they're both, they're, they both have their own uh, qualities of those experiences, which are really challenging. But the thing about the pain pill addiction, I had not proven to myself yet that I was competent and capable. So I hadn't yet built confidence. Yeah. Talk about where you're from. Yeah, man. So I'm from small town, Southern Ohio. Grew up in, you know, I mean, in the sticks, mm-hmm. you know, I, I used to have to drive 45 minutes to my high school. We had to, you know, drive your tractor to school day. My, my, my parents, Yeehaw! Oh, it was, it was wild, man. So my parents got divorced when I was like 13. My dad had a pretty mildly successful business, about a $2 million a year company. He split off. I lived with my mom. Mostly we were on government assistance, super low income. And it was chaos, man. Chaotic, like cops called. They, there was like an eight year, you know, uh, eight year battle between custody and all this shit. So I learned a lot as a kid, but like I got to experience both sides of the equation. I got to experience what it was like being dirt poor with my mom. And then I would go stay with my dad, whose business was doing pretty decent. We had four wheelers, you know, decent plot of land. I'm like, oh, there's like, here's what it feels like to have a little bit of money. Here's what it feels like to be poor. I'm not happy at either one. I'm like, oh, so I learned young that like happiness really doesn't come with, with money. But what I eventually realized and figured out was like happiness really isn't a thing. I don't, I don't know why we chase happiness. We should chase fulfillment. And to me, fulfillment comes through being useful. Just being fucking useful, useful to other people, useful to yourself, whatever the, whatever the definition of being useful to you is. But the paradox to that is to be useful, you got to work and it's going to be hard. Like you got to work really fucking hard. The harder you work, the more useful you become. Yep. Right. Yep. So the long, like a long way to answer your question, man, grew up in the sticks. Uh, and I just got to learn through that. All my family, like drug addicts, my uncle Jeffrey caught his trailer on fire with crystal meth when I was 15. Um, yeah. Uncle Jeffrey. Yeah. Uncle Jeffrey. <laughs> he actually just killed himself uh, no a couple months ago. Yeah. Wow. Surprised he made it that long. Wow. Uh, man, my, my whole family's from the hollers in Kentucky. I mean, trailers in a, in a holler. Yeah. So I've, I've got to experience like a lot of those things, man. And, and similar to you, man, we outkicked our coverage. Yeah. So I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, the hardest thing you've ever been through the pain pills. Yeah. The pain pills, man. So when that happened, the, the way it happened was just so unexpected. I, I graduated college, which I never expected to do. Got an economics degree and I'm like all pumped. I'm 22 years old, out of college, cool. And I just landed a job. Literally two days after I graduated college, I ruptured my Liz Frank ligament wakeboarding. Okay. One in 500,000 orthopedic injuries a year. I mean, lucky me, right? So I ended up, this was in 2012. And if you recall, opioids were just being passed out like Skittles at yeah. that time. And I'm in Ohio. There's this thing called the heroin highway that runs from uh, Florida all the way into um, Cleveland. And that's where they just traffic mm-hmm. pain pills. A lot of my friends were getting into pain pills. A lot of my friends were getting addicted. I didn't really have any interest in that. You know, I'm like trying to go to college, trying to do the right thing. But then as soon as I break my foot, I get out of that and I get a script for like a hundred perk fives. Or maybe it wasn't that many, but I kept getting the doctor to up yep. it. I'm a good salesman. You know, yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, oh, these are fun, bro. Doc, like, yeah, man, it's like a 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. <laughs> so we just kept upping it and upping it and upping it. And then next thing I know, I'm also buying Percocet 30s from friends of mine who easily accessible. Next thing I knew, man, I was four months in hiding in my closet three or four times a day, crushing up pain pills, snorting them, hiding from my girlfriend at the time. Wow. 
Uh, and I was real scientific about it, right? Because yeah. I like, you know, I love the science. I figured out that if you got grapefruit juice, grapefruit juice inhibits a certain enzyme called the the CO1. 35 enzyme, I think is what it's called. Okay. It's an enzyme that basically breaks down a lot of different medications in your body. And if you drink grapefruit juice and inhibits this, so it potentiates opioids big time. Mm. So it lasts longer, it's stronger. So dude, I was literally living off grapefruit juice and pain pills. Jeez. Fucking it was, it was bad. And it all hit, it all hit a culmination when this lasted for about six to eight months. And my doctor finally cut me off right around this time is when they put in that law to where pharmacies had to report their scripts and there was more like litigation. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you guys have never watched like some of these opioid documentaries and the, these movies, they're great. Like, uh, what's the one called, um, on Hulu, uh, about the Sackler family. You guys have to look it up. The family that created Oxycon. It's crazy. But anyways, um, he cut me off finally. He's like, bro, I can't feel this. Yeah. You know, I'm like, man, just one more, one more. He did finally he, did. Did he know? He, he was starting yeah. to figure it out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so he finally cut me off and he gave me one more script. That was at like 4 p.m. on a Friday. And I, and I like rushed to the pharmacy before five to try to get it filled. And I missed the, and they closed. So I'm like, fuck, I'm sweating. I'm already starting to get diarrhea, going into withdrawal. Mm. So I go home and I'm like, fuck, this is terrible. I ended up driving back to that CVS at like 1 a.m. and literally just slept in the parking lot, puking, sweating, waiting for them to open. Rushed, got them to fill that script, went back home. And that's when it really hit me. Like, I was like, wow, what, did, what is going on here? So I took two out of that script and flushed them down the toilet. Mm. I stayed in my apartment that time for about six days, you know, just mm -hmm. dealing with it, man. Mm -hmm. And those six days were probably like the hardest thing I ever went through. Wow. Yeah, just dealing with it. Like it was rough. <laughs> Mark shared some stories about some withdrawal that he experienced, but he has a very interesting statement that I heavily agreed with. And at the time I, I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do with it, but I'd love to pitch it to you. I was talking about how I've been taken advantage of by a few homeless people here in Austin. Yeah. Uh, they're amazing salesmen. Man, I'm telling you. For God. Sure. Dude, it's probably hard uh, to be homeless. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And like, they're good. Like, people get good at it. They do. Yeah. They do. It, it's also hard to be homeless from a sense of like, dude, like, you're really in the streets. Yeah. Like, you're, that's how low life is. Um, but that being said, he, I, I felt bad for like enabling addiction. I've given people things that they didn't use and I'll see them nodding out on a bench, like yep. hours after I gave it to them. And I'm like, wow. Like, okay. And he told me, don't feel bad about that. Every single person who is a true addict, they have to hit rock bottom at some point. And maybe you help them hit rock bottom sooner because at that point, that is when you realize that you need to make a change and you either keep going and you die, kill yourself, or you make a change in your life levels up. You were in CVS parking lot. You realized you needed to make a change. You allow yourself to go through rock bottom for six days in your apartment. Without that, if you just kept going, yeah. you'd probably be dead. Yeah. You probably wouldn't be here right now. Yeah. hundred percent. So then when did you become an entrepreneur? At what point of this journey of I'm throwing up in CVS's parking lot because <laughs> I'm completely addicted to pills to now I want to start a company. Yeah, man. I had to trade, I had to trade one addiction for another, you know? That makes sense. And I feel like you have to, man, you can't, an, an addict's brain, at least in my experience is compulsive, is obsessionary is really good at problem solving. Think about mm -hmm. this, man. Mm -hmm. It's the most logical problem that you can possibly assess to say, I feel like shit. Mm -hmm. I'm withdrawing from a substance. What's the easiest way to solve this problem is to take the substance. Yeah. And like as a, as a problem solver, as an entrepreneur, like that's why we are successful. We're good at solving problems. Mm -hmm. Like, and so that's why it can be really hard for someone who does think like that. And they get, they're most likely to get wrapped up into that, in mm -hmm. my opinion. So for me, the first addiction that I traded, I'd always been obsessed with fitness growing mm -hmm. up. I mean, you know, we've known each other for a long time. Mm -hmm. Like even when I was strung out on pain pills, dude, I was literally in the gym almost every day. Yeah. Like I literally had fucking grapefruit juice yeah. in, in my pre-workout and I took pain pills before I go to the gym. I wasn't gonna let my fitness go. Like I still yeah. want to like, even though I lost 50 pounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways. what uh, you feel when you were training on pain pills? I mean. Oh man, dude, pain pills are funny because 
I don't know if everybody has this experience, but like when you first start taking them, you know, you feel kind of shitty. Yeah. I don't know. Like what's your experience? Have you, you've obviously, I've only ever had the experience with the, the fentanyl when, um, I was having my kidney failure when Megan and I lived right. at the Bowie. Right. That's the only experience I've ever had yeah. with them. And that was insane. Just get lifted so off the bed. Like God. that warm Literally, blanket. Like I was like, I am in heaven. Right. Warm blanket. Yeah. 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 Warm blanket, every problem goes away. It's like a dream. You're in this dreamlike state. Oh my God. It's the best feeling in the world. Best. Um, unfortunately. So what I'd realized was like, I had to get obsessed with something. And so for me, that was fitness, man. So I just decided after that, you know, I got off the shit, um, kind of just spun my wheels, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And that's when I started competing, yeah. you know, around that time, yeah. like right about 24 yeah. and just became ruthlessly obsessed with that. Yeah. And again, man, that's where like the cascade effect started to happen, where I started to realize how addicting process can be, you know, prepping your food. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking to the choir here, but like all those little details and variables as a drug addict, you also have to be very detail oriented as well. When's the next thing coming from? Where are you going to put them? How are you going to travel with them? Uh, how are you going to make sure you don't eat so that it fucking doesn't fuck it up? There's, there's like a lot of like nuance. And so when I got really obsessed with just training and fitness, you know, that really is what did it. And of course I started to get into anabolics and those things too. Yeah. So that kind of fulfilled that need for like, cause dude, I like doing bad shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I like, I like doing, breaking rules. Yeah. dude. Yeah. I like doing bad shit. Like Aaron jokes. Sometimes, sometimes we'll be hanging out at the house. Well, take it, take it for this. When we yeah. first met, I didn't tell her that I smoked weed. I would yeah. literally like hide around the garage, yeah. hit an apple That's... and come back in. Like she didn't know what I was doing. You know, because I get that kind of thrill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, an addict, just like a gambling addict, man, a drug addict, it's not so much getting the drug. It's the, it's not so much doing the drug. It's the waiting to get it, you know? So if you can create a situation in your life where you have this like delayed gratification that you get so excited because you're about to do something like, bro, I get excited when I wake up in the morning now because I'm like, nice. I get a whole new day to do my routine, mm -hmm. to, to hit my breath work. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to train a little bit in the morning. I'm going to go into this work day and fucking crush it. And you start to develop these feedback loops. You start to rewire your dopamine system to crave those things. And it does become like a drug, but fortunately that, that drug is not going to destroy your life. It's going to help other people. I mean, it's the same trigger that allows you to be successful in business that ultimately can end up you being homeless, a junkie and killing yourself in my opinion. Yeah. Tommy, my barber, we chatted the other day when I was in his chair about one of the homeless guys that had duped me. He sits outside Finley's. And Tommy is like, he's been homeless since he was 14. He's 52 now. Wow. And I'm just like, dude, the effort that it takes to continually be a drug addict for that long, if you could channel, and, and I know this is way easier said than done. I'm right. saying this from a place of privilege. If he could have spent 38 years channeling that addiction into right. something conducive, learning an instrument, um, I, 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 I don't know, something conducive. Yeah. Not a chance in hell he wouldn't be successful right now, but here he is like he's still out there under the tree yeah. asking everyone who walks by every time they walk by because he doesn't remember who he's talked to on that day yeah. for more shit. And I find that absolutely fascinating. Well, bro, it all comes down to you're, uh, you're never going to outgrow, out earn, outperform your own self-image. Yeah. And so a guy I knew used to have a foundation, this really successful guy that started a nonprofit where his mission was to get people off the streets yeah. and help them, you know, find life, like yeah. get them off drugs and all these things. And he, he was telling me about his success rate. He basically worked with over a thousand homeless people and he only actually helped three people of those thousand, like actually long-term success. Yeah. Because you're, you're changing and their internal image, their internal dialogue. And, and it's too deep. It's, it's, too deep. it's too deep. It's funny you say that. I, uh, this person was, um, being hateful towards, uh, my post yesterday, uh, tweet post yesterday that I made just about changing your internal dialogue and manifestation. You know how Instagram shows everyone who shares your story. Yeah. Um, it's so like, I'm like clicking through like, Oh, like dude, so many people like sharing up positive stuff. And you know, we have negativity bias as humans. So I go to this guy's page and he's like, uh, this guy's story. And he's like, um, how does one turn from a bodybuilding coach to a philosopher or psychotherapist overnight, right, right. like whatever. And so I reach out and I was like, Hey, what part of this did you not agree with? And he like sends me this whole thing back about like, you know, basically internal dialogue manifestation. Like he doesn't believe that they're real. He believes that these things are concrete that, you know, he was, he went kind of a religious path with, path with and whatnot. But what's interesting is I went to his page and scrolled through his things. He had like two or three captions he wrote that were literally talking about how he manifested love into exactly. his life. And I'm just, you know, I don't get into the whole thing. He doesn't want to like believe it and that's okay. Your self-image and the, the story that you tell yourself 
Jordan, since you and I have known each other about six, seven years, since you and I have known each other, when we met, I was not good financially. Mm -hmm. When Megan and I started dating, I was starting to have some sort of financial. I mean, I was doing like nine, 10 K a month mm -hmm. and no one in my family had ever done that. Yeah. Now, you know, fast forward to this whole time I've told myself a story mm -hmm. of who I'm turning into, who I'm going to become and who I'm claiming is the power is within me. I'm, I claim it every day. I'm going to be a hyper successful entrepreneur in the fitness space that changes a fuck ton of people's lives. Mm -hmm. I started telling myself that story when I had 10 clients yep. and it's never changed. Yep. You've told yourself a story the entire time I've known you. You've been this ultra successful, masculine, yet vulnerable man that now you've turned into. You weren't that when we met. I yep. wasn't this when we met. Yep. And we're still telling ourselves stories that are different evolutions yep. of our current self. Yep. This shit's real as fuck, dude. Oh, 100%. It's real as a motherfucker. Dude, the CIA, I mean, you guys can even look it up. The CIA conducted their own internal research and these, these documents have gotten unclassified. They got unclassified in like 2007. Yeah that show that the law of attraction is real. I mean, they lit like, yeah. dude, they've done like remote viewing studies and stuff. Yeah. Like there's no doubt. And it's so true, man. Like however you view yourself yep. is exactly what you're going to become. I mean, I, like most of us have this internal self image of like, I'm not worthy or I'm a piece of shit because honestly, dude, nobody's ever believed in them. Yeah. I don't know if you have a story like this, but I remember different people throughout my life who just gave me a little nugget of belief. Yeah, you they and Aaron were the first ones that gave it to me and look what I did with it. Well, you already, you, you know, I think that helps you level up, right? Yeah. Each level, you almost need somebody to be like, yo, bro, you know, you can do this. For me, the biggest pivotal one was Aaron. Yeah. You know, when I met Aaron, like, yeah, I had I'd done a few things. Like around that time, I was trying to sell a fish pick ruler, which was like, you remember the fish pick ruler? Yeah. I remember <laughs> this. Fish pick ruler. No way. Yeah, yeah. I remember it. Tell us about it. That was my business venture when we met was essentially what it was. It was, a, it was an eight inch ruler. Okay. That had 12 markings on it. Yeah. And so it looked like it was a foot ruler, but it was actually eight inches yeah. for your uncle who thinks this fish is bigger than it really is. <laughs> and so that way you could take fish pick, you know, it was a gag gift. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, when I met Aaron, you know, my whole cap was lifted because I always loved fitness and the fitness industry, but I never thought you could make money in it. Yeah. So I met her, you know, we'd been dating for a couple of months and she finally shared with me that she did 500,000 in revenue the year before by herself. And I started to run some numbers. I'm like, wait, you did what? That's a lot of money. By, you know, I'm like, by yourself? I'm like, how much do you charge? She's like 200 a month per client. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. I'm like, do you sleep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, my cap was lifted. And then she was the one that actually spoke enough belief into me to be like, Jordan, I actually think you could build a big company in this yeah. industry. And that's all I needed. Yeah. So my point is, I think some people just need to put themselves in a room and then prove that they're worthy of that speaking of belief. And they just need to find the right person to believe in them. And then I think once that happens, then they can believe it themselves. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I haven't looked back and reflected on it for quite some time. Uh, but you know, like without you and Aaron, there was never a Justin Mahaley and there was never a grow or die podcast there was never what tm turned into there was never like any of this because when i came around you guys you know i talk about environment on this show all the time because it is real man we had the best fuck. environment around that time and dude like i you know megan and i started dating we got very close i was around you guys a lot we all vibed so well and when I was first around you guys, I remember like the first spontaneous thing I ever did was that trip to LA. Because mm -hmm. something just called me to do it. Mm -hmm. I was like, I, I, I have to do this. And I've never been in a situation like this before. And I go, I'm just nervous as fuck. I'm like, dude, like, I know that like she really likes me, but like, I really want Jordan Aaron to like me. Like, what they're doing in fitness is like so wild and so far beyond what I'm doing. And like, I'm starting to see a little bit. So, like, let's just send it. And, you know, throughout that course, of being around you guys, like you and Aaron were the people that really allowed me to see how special and gifted I was. Like mm -hmm. you guys pointed that out in me. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily believe much in imposter syndrome. I'm currently putting my, um, my keynote speech together where I'm just gonna destroy imposter syndrome. It, I don't believe much in imposter syndrome. We just all have a lot of fear. Yeah. We have a lot of fear and we fear the absolute worst that can possibly happen. And we turn that into a reality. We have negativity bias. We're evolutionary trying to protect ourselves from everything that could go wrong. Yep. And I was just operating in this place of such extreme scarcity. And you and Aaron like lifted this veal, like what you're talking about Aaron did for you. Like that was what you guys did for me. Mm -hmm. 
to be able to see, like, I feel like I got my sight yeah, yeah. from being around you guys and seeing the like, dude, you know what? Like I can, I can do all these things. Like I am a really good coach. Like I really care about people. I have a way of talking to people and, um, man, it, it makes me emotional to think about cause it's like truly none of this, like, dude, none of this would have fucking, none of this would have fucking, it, dad, if we never would have trained legs at LA Fitness <laughs> that one day. Yeah, like, yeah. So remember that. None of this would have happened. Yeah. It really wouldn't. So you, um, you drew that into your life though, man. You did. And, th- you know, I think it's important to, to realize like you have to care. Cause I think what you're saying is most people fear judgment, I think mm. more than they do even their own success, yeah. which is sad. But like, I think you have to shift where if you like two ways to think about this, you either have to fear failure, being broke, being sad, being miserable more than you fear those people judging. And if you don't fear a more than B you're fucked. And alternatively, you have to want the uh, recognition of somebody that you really look up to more than you want the uh, validation of people that are behind you. You know what I'm saying? Like you wanted the, ad, the the validation from Aaron and I. Yeah. I have many people in my life like that. Yeah. I care way more about their validation than I do fucking people from high school yeah. or anybody that talks shit about me. Like, dude, you can, you can find Reddit forums online right now talking about how Aaron and I are cult leaders yeah. and fucking we're this and that. Like they yeah. talk shit about Same. us in groups, like this whole Same. thing. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. What I no. do care about is how Justin Mahaley looks at me, is, yeah. is how my wife looks at me, is how, you know, mentors in my life, Cole Gordon, uh, Hormoz, like all these people, I, I want their admiration. I don't give a fuck about them. Yeah. Yeah. The, breaking that negativity bias though. Mm. It's like the story I just told. Like, dude, I got hundreds of shares on this post, but the one that That's I one thought about <laughs> was the, breaking that negativity yeah. bias. I, I think it's a very imperfect place to be yet being aware yeah. that, hey, you know what? Like this bothers me and it's okay that this bothers me and I'm not above being rattled by people. Being aware of that while being aware of who do I actually want validation from? Mm-hmm. And one of those people that, um, I want validation from, and, and I've really recently got it because he and I are getting much closer, is Curtis Crane. Do you know Curtis? Man, it sounds familiar. Yeah, he's the uh, transgender surgeon. He does the gender reconstruction Oh, yeah, yeah, surgeon. I know him. Yeah, he's yeah. been on my I've show. I've partied at his house before yeah. for the Fourth July party. No one throws parties like Curtis. Oh, I can attest to that. No his one. party was insane. It's insane. You should have seen the one he did a couple weeks ago. It was nuts, Jordan. Yeah. Um, We went to dinner last night. Uh, along with my friend, Mike, who I mentioned earlier with the digital marketing company, we all went to dinner. These are two guys I want their validation. Mm-hmm. They're two men who are in positions where I want to be. Yep. Um, we had this whole conversation you, that you made a comment about earlier. We had this deep conversation. All three of us have some very interesting um, obstacles happening in life right now. Curtis challenged me to not call them problems. They're obstacles. For sure. The problems that we have, uh, Chris alluded to them as these are Titanic problems. Mm. So you're on the Titanic and everyone back home is like, oh my gosh, like Jordan's on the Titanic. Like how cool is this? Like, oh my God. But meanwhile, you're on the Titanic water up to your neck. You're trying to stay afloat because it looks so cool from the outside. But what's actually is happening on the inside is massive problem, massive obstacle that we need to figure out how to work through. But it's coupled with this thing that Chris also calls champagne problem. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're sipping Dom Perignon, but you don't even like champagne. Mm. And so from the outside, this looks amazing. But internally, you're like, yeah, this isn't that. This isn't what I thought that it was going to be. This isn't the experience I thought large scale entrepreneurship, uh, scaling a a company was going to look like. I thought it was going to be more glitz and glam. So Curtis challenges me. It's not a problem. It's an obstacle. Before he got into a conversation about happiness isn't a goal. No, yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. That's not a thing. No. Like, I'm happy because I'm with someone who I love doing something that I love right now. But when I leave here and I go pull up my laptop at Codependent after this, something's going to piss me off today. Something's going to drive me nuts. I have dinner with friends at 5.30 tonight. We're going to a really nice steakhouse. I, I'm going to the green room at Estelle's after that. And these are things that make me happy. But some, I'm going to be pissed off today. I'm going to be sad when dinner's over. I'm going to be sad when it's the last glass of wine for the night. Yep. I'm going to be sad when I go home, not with my friends. Anymore. Happiness isn't a real thing. It's this fleeting thing. It's fleeting. It's glimpsey. Yeah, it's moments. But people have this. Desire. I just want to be happy. What the fuck do you even mean you want to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and I are happier than 
most people probably are, but we're also more pissed off than most people probably are. We're probably more anxious than most people probably are. And it's not because we have problems. Yeah. It's just because there's a lot of things ongoing. So with all that being said, what, what would fulfill you? Yeah. Your ideal outcome. Yeah, man. I, I love that you're saying this because this is something I've been thinking about a lot. I actually ran it on my story the other day about how the most fulfilled people that I see in life are those that have really high temperature thresholds. All right. So what I mean is I went to Onnit the other day and I went yeah. to their sauna and dude, I'm big on sauna for mental health and like all these other benefits, right? Like have one in my house, cold plunge. It's like a very foundational staple in my day because it's hard. I do those things and it makes everything else better. And so I go in their sauna. It's like 180 degrees probably. I'm like, man, this is fucking like my, mine, mine at home gets to 230. Yeah. And so I hear these people in there complaining. They're popping in and out. They're sweating. And I'm like, man, I got to sit in here for fucking hour to even get a sweat. And I think that's a good analogy to like how people, they don't live in hot enough temperatures mm -hmm. on a regular enough basis to then raise their threshold to be able to deal with problems calmly. Like our problems, dude, there are, there are 15 year old girls out there in the Congo wearing their child to their back, digging in the diamond mines for $1.50 a day, right? So the champagne problems, right? But like what brings fulfillment for me is getting more resilient, more resilient to where little problems don't really bother me. Because if you're the kind of person to where one small problem, one issue derails you, you're never going to feel content. You're never going to feel fulfillment. But I get fulfillment personally when I'm able to handle a lot of fucking shit and still be happy. And I'll tell you what helps that is having a kid. Really? Man, like the amount of joy that a kid brings into your life and puts things into perspective on a regular basis is really impossible to describe. Like I could look at my computer, you know, you see something pop off, something that annoys you. But then five minutes later, I'm playing peekaboo with him. Like, how are you going to be mad about this client complaint when you've got a one-year-old playing peekaboo with you, right? Mm -hmm. So there are those little elements of distress or, or, or a perspective. I think children and procreating is the key to fulfillment personally. But in order to do that right, you have to become the type of man or woman to do it right. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, you've seen people who have kids that all it does is make them fucking crazy. Always pissed, always stressed. Oh, get off of this, get off of that, yelling at their kids and stuff. Yeah, they're not the type of people that are going to get anything out of that, right? Alternatively, I've seen some men out there who have five kids and who fucking crush it. You know, you're like, dude, you've got this business, five children, you're calm, content, everything's taken care of. And it's like, yeah, because their temperature threshold is so much higher than yours and mine. They're probably the ones that sleep best at night. Yeah, you're telling me this at a time, Jordan, where I, it doesn't leave my head. Fatherhood. Yeah. I, my current, quest in this next phase is prepping for fatherhood yeah i am all in i want it i need it i desire it i crave it i am built for it yeah i am going to fucking be incredible at it oh i believe that 100 i i never had you remember how i used to feel about kids oh yeah dude oh yeah same i am same you did too yeah i didn't i never wanted kids i am i started getting close to 30. I turned 30. I made a lot of moves and changes in my life. And it is crystal clear. Yeah. Like Justin, the dad is being evolved right now. Yeah. Yeah. It just sounds like the greatest fucking thing in the world. It's awesome, man. It's, it's just it's like with anything, it's the hardest thing and the greatest thing, right? And where you and I are so blessed. I, I saw this when I was home for Christmas with, um, my family. My sister and I, my parents went really, really hard for us. Mm -hmm. They did. At the end of the day. Isn't it funny how you realize that later in life? You do. Yeah. They went really hard. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't enough. It wasn't good. Yeah. It wasn't a good scenario. It wasn't a good system. It wasn't a good operation. But did they do on. better than their parents? They outdid their parents. My mom heavily outdid her parents. My my dad subtly Maybe outdid marginally. his. Yeah, yeah but the, definitely outdid his. Yeah. Um, but my God, Christmas was so hard. Cause I do like, we didn't have the money for the things, mm -hmm. but we had Christmas presents. We were just going in debt to get these Christmas presents. Yeah. 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 And you at the time you don't realize that now being an adult, I realized what was going on. I feel what that pain had to have been like, I know how scary that is. And I go home and my sister and, and Luke, my brother-in-law, they have set themselves up with just an unbelievable life that their kids are going to be able to benefit mm -hmm. and, and they're building a generational thing there that's beautiful and i just see ella and emerson ella said i'm tired of opening presents oh, wow <laughs> i mean they had to have had 30 yeah, a yeah. piece and 
I look at it. That's amazing. I look at you and Aaron and I, I know some of your background and it's like everything that my kids are going to get. I never was, I wasn't even in contention. I didn't have a chance at getting those things, including unconditional love. Yeah. 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 Attention, support. Yeah. Not having a household of, full of arguments. Yep. Emotional safety. Yep. Your kids, your Jax gets that. Yeah, yeah. My kids are going to get that. They will. But it's interesting, right? Because all of those things that your parents didn't give you yeah. are most likely a big reason that you are so driven today. 100%. It's really fascinating. Like I heard this psychologist talk about, th this person basically studied uh, what creates ambition, very productive people in society, which as a side note, doesn't always equate to the happiest people either. But if we just look at it as like a corollary, what he found was usually in childhood, they're seeking the admiration of a parent that they just can never get, right? But then when they do get it, maybe in little glimpses, it's whenever the kid is being good, like mom works two jobs, in debt, stressed all the time, but she comes home and little six-year-old Justin made his own food, yeah. made his bed, yeah. cleaned the house. Oh, Justin, thank you. You're such a good kid. Let me give you a little love and attention. So now into adulthood, what are you doing? You're thinking my productivity is the way that I get love and attention. My fucking organization, if I can make shit happen, I'm going to get it. Do you ever? No, no, not really, but it get hits, it get hits, yeah. but it also creates a lot of awesome shit for other people. You know, men are the type of guys, I think in your situation and mine, we're willing to take thorns in our back yeah. as long as people in front of us feel good. 100%. And I sleep well at night on that really fucking well at night. Yeah. Jordan, I've been looking forward to the chance for us to get a one-to-one face-to-face podcast. And I'm, I'm really fucking grateful that it finally came about. Um, I absolutely love what we chatted about in this show. Likewise. I, I love everything that you stand for. I love the man that you're becoming. I love seeing your family grow and thrive. And I, I just, I, I, I love you a ton, bro. So I love you too, yeah, brother. Thanks for making the space. Yeah, absolutely. Robert I podcast, Jordan Duggar, everything to find will be below. Are there any final thoughts that you would like to leave people with? We talked about high-scale entrepreneurship. We talked about drug addiction. We talked about what it's like being a father. Anything you want to leave with? Main thing I'll say is if you're listening to this and you've gotten value from this, like you need to act as if how you want people to act with you. There's like this law in the universe of reciprocity, right? So guys, if you listen to the Grow or Die podcast and if it's helped you even marginally, share this shit. Send it to a friend that you know this could be useful. Maybe not this episode, maybe something else you've heard in the past, because that is how when you're doing your thing, people will reciprocate to you. Mm -hmm. Like you have to, you have to buy how you act. You have to do how you want people to do. Mm -hmm. So guys, like be giving, share this, help this podcast grow. I really believe in the mission and everything you're doing here and the lives that you could potentially change. So Podcast changed my life. Mm -hmm. Guys, if you have negative thoughts swirling on a regular basis, replace your thoughts with the thoughts that are on this show. Mm -hmm. And it will start to become your reality. We talk about like your identity and everything. You got to listen to more people like you, more people like you, the guests you have on to really start to shift who you are. So I say all that to say, share this shit, motherfucker. <laughs> Promote it. Help Justin spread the word. And I can guarantee when you're on your path and you're helping people through the way that you, you had success, people will do the same. I love that. I appreciate it. Jordan, grow or die. We'll see you guys next time. See you guys. Peace.